Good, good. Good to be back. Hey, if you got your Bibles with you, let's head to the book of Numbers. We're going to begin tonight, uh, Numbers chapter 7. Uh, last time we were in the book of Numbers, or actually we, we started about verse 5, dealing with the dedication of the temple uh, and, and putting up, or not the temple, the tabernacle, the putting up of the tabernacle and the dedication of all the parts that were within it. And that same concept is being continued all the way through uh, chapter 10. We're still at Mount Sinai, where the giving of the law took place, where God called on his nation to be holy, set apart from the world unto him. And as we look into it, we're going to see in chapter 7, the offering, the the offering given uh, by each of the... 12 princes of the 12 tribes, you remember earlier in the book of Numbers, God named someone to be in charge of each one of those tribes, and they're going to bring forth uh, an offering as we see in chapter 7. So if we take a look, chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Now, it came to pass, when Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle, he anointed it, consecrated it, and all its furnishings, and the altar and its utensils, so he anointed them... And consecrated, and consecrated them. Again, as we take a look, and we see the tabernacle is spoken of almost more than any other topic in the Bible. Why? Because the tabernacle pictures Jesus Christ. Every article within the tabernacle is a picture of his character or of the work that he does. And it was that central figure that around which everything in the old testament was built every time the children of israel moved why did they move because the the glory of god began to move how did they know the glory of god began to move because it was centered where in the tabernacle where was the camp centered on the tabernacle everything was centered and had its being whether it was moved or whether they stayed whether they packed up or they just settled in was all based on what was going on at the tabernacle. And the picture for us ought to be clear. The picture for us is, is that what our life is centered on? Is our life centered on Christ? And we go where he directs us, and we do what he calls us to do. And if he's not calling us, then we wait on him. We wait on the Lord, even as the scripture declares, those who wait on the Lord will mount up with wings of eagles, right? We want to... Be in that position where he's central. And all throughout the book of Numbers, you're going to get that idea that God was central. You'll remember we talked about it in the book of Exodus after the giving of the law. Moses came down the mountain to find the children of Israel sinning. And as they were caught up in that sin, we go through the intercessory prayer. Moses, God gives the children of Israel, in essence, a second chance. But he tests them in this and he says, listen... I'm pretty much done with you guys, so I'll give you the land, but I'm not going with you. And the children of Israel said, if you're not coming, we're not going. Is that our attitude today? If God's not in it, then we're not going. If God's not directing. But often the case is we see an issue we see a problem we jump on it we have a plan we got an idea how to take care of it and sometimes thinking about the lord comes comes second rather than first and we end up out there in trouble doing something that god hasn't called us to do for them everything about the lord was central now they weren't perfect we know right we're going to study it in numbers how they messed up we study it in exodus Guess what? We're not perfect either. And we will mess up every bit as much as they did. But this one thing they got right. God is central to everything they did. When someone saw the the nation of Israel, they knew what the nation of Israel was all about. When they saw the nation of Israel encamped against Moab, looking down from the cliffs, they would see them encamped in the form of a cross. Everything that they were about was about that central concept. If God's in it, we're going. If God's not, we're staying. Now, we want to 
carry it beyond where they failed because there were times where God called them to go and they were afraid. We want to be able to succeed where they failed at Kadesh Barnea when we get there in a couple of weeks. But as we take a look at this, we want to have that concept. Is the Lord central? See, the reason why you're doing the things that you're doing. Because God can be central in everything you do. When I coach football, I would tell the kids, you can love football and and play this game for the glory of the Lord. You can work your job for the glory of the Lord. You can do the things you do for His glory and Him be central. Or you can do it for your glory and you be central. And sometimes it's hard for us to recognize when we're off track in that way. Moses understood because as they, as they lifted up the tabernacle, what did he do? He anointed it. What's the anointing speak of throughout the scripture? The anointing of the Holy Spirit. You have the anointing of the Holy Spirit in your life. Are you filled with the Spirit? Because the scripture tells us in the book of Ephesians, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now when it talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit, it's a command. Not a suggestion. Be filled, and literally, as you've heard before, I'm sure it is, be being filled constantly, constantly overflowing with the Spirit. If we're going to keep Him central, we have to be anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we're not going to accomplish anything. Beginning in Genesis, moving our way through, We can look in the Old Testament and see how men, great men, started with the Holy Spirit, but when the Holy Spirit was removed, what happened to them? What happened to mighty Samson when the Holy Spirit was gone? He wasn't mighty anymore, was he? What happened to Saul, the first king? The Spirit was with him in the beginning, but when the Spirit departed, he was nearly driven insane by an evil spirit working in his life. So we want to have that anointing. And then the second thing that you see that that Moses does is he consecrated them. That means those things, all of those things, were fully, completely committed to the service of God. And that kept tabernacle central. Being totally and completely consecrated and anointed and consecrated. Now the leaders of Israel, verse 2, the heads of their father's houses who were the leaders of the tribes and over those who were numbered, they made an offering. And they brought their offering before the Lord. Six covered carts and twelve oxen, a cart for every two of the leaders, for each one an ox. And they presented them before the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Accept these from them that they may be used... In doing the work of the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall give them to the Levites, to every man according to his service. So listen to what happened. First thing that we need to understand. People brought an offering to the Lord. You notice they brought the offering to the Lord, and when they let it go, what happened? It wasn't theirs anymore, right? And God directed what took place with the offering. They brought all these oxen and all these carts... And they're going to give them to the Lord. And the Lord even tells Moses, now you're going to give them to the different Levites according to their service. Is everyone going to get the same amount? No. Is every every family going to get a cart or an oxen? No. Why? Where do they go? Where God directs. Where God directs. When we bring our offering to the Lord, we bring it to Him. If there are strings attached to it, it's not an offering to the Lord. When we bring our offering, we bring it, we lay it down before him, and then we trust that God's going to direct. And sometimes some will go here, some will go there. It's not always equal, but it is where God directs. And so as we look here, the Lord's going to direct. Look what happens. So Moses took the carts and the oxen, gave them to the Levites. Two carts and four oxen he gave to the sons of Gershon according to their service. Now, you might remember the sons of Gershon. They took care of all the tapestries, all the cloth, and the linen fence, the, the tent coverings, all those things. So they were given carts that they could put that on. And they were given less carts because the stuff that they were carrying wasn't quite as, as bulkish as what we're going to see in a, in a moment. And so they were provided 
carts and oxen that they could move when the tabernacle moved because the glory of God was moving and they wanted to stay right beneath the shadow of the wings of God Almighty. So when, when he moved, they moved, packed it up, put it on these carts, and they would move it. Then, in verse 8, it says, Four carts and eight oxen he gave to the sons of Merari, according to their service, under the authority of Ithamar, son of Aaron, the priest. Now, you'll remember Merari was charged with moving all the heavy stuff. All the silver bases, all the posts, all the pillars, all the poles for the tent of meaning, all the boards that were wood overlaid with gold, a lot of heavy work. And as those things were prepared, they could be placed on the cart so that the carts could be carried. But if you do the math, you'll discover that there are all the oxen and all the carts are given. What about this third family? To the sons of Kohath he gave none, because theirs was the service of the holy things, which they carried on their shoulders. You remember the era of David, right? When the Ark of the Covenant was brought back from the Philistines, David wanted to bring that back to the temple, and so how did he, what did he put it on? He put it on a cart. But it was to be carried by the sons of Kohath. And how were they to carry it? On their shoulders. On their shoulders. That they would bear that on their shoulders. Now you'll notice, the offering was given, the Lord dispensed it among the Levites, but everybody didn't get the same. No, no more than every one of us has the same call in our life. We are not cut out with a cookie cutter and all of us are identical. Some of us are going to have ministries that differ greatly from others. Some will have ministries reaching out to, to hurting people. Others may have uh, ministries going to, a, to another land. Still, yet others will have ministries of boldness where they're we're fired and, and just straight shooting on what the Word of God says. And others maybe will be a little bit softer. Does that mean one is, is better than the other or one's wrong and the other's right? God doesn't call us all the same. He doesn't give us all the same gifts. He doesn't give us all the same amount of uh, carts and oxen. Sometimes we bear it on our shoulders. Sometimes we got a cart. Sometimes he uses one man to, to fulfill one job a certain way, and another man is called in a totally different sense. Do a study of the, the Old Testament prophets. They were not all the same. You got some hardcore prophets in there. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, but they're not all that way. They're not all the same. The Lord called people in different ways, and we need to understand that. First, we need to understand the Lord calls us in different ways, and then we need to understand the Lord calls us. Every single one has a part to play in the body of Christ. And if we aren't pulling our weight, it means somebody else is having to pick up extra burden. But God has specifically given unto you and I a role to play, and he expects us to do it. In verse 10, he goes on, Now the leaders offered the dedication offering for the altar when it was anointed, so the leaders offered their offering before the altar. For the Lord has said to Moses, They shall offer their offering, one leader each day, for the dedication of the altar. So dedicating the tabernacle, the tabernacle's been set up. They're getting ready to, to start to perform the, the everyday uh, work that would be done in the tabernacle. But before it begins, they're going to give, each prince of each tribe is going to give his offering. There's going to be 12 days of offerings given as they're brought before the Lord in uh, a time of anointing the altar. And so we'll see a leader... For each day. Now here's some of the things that you need to know. One, as we go through chapter 7, every single one of the offerings is exactly the same. I've read them like 50 times, trying to find one thing different. Nothing's different. They're all exactly the same. Second thing that you want to know is they're given in their precise marching order. By which tribe would lead lead the procession and which tribes would bring up the rear of the procession in the order that they're given by their leaders 
for each of the tribes, the same order as their marching orders. We see, and the one who offered his offering on the first day was Nashon, son of Aminadab from the tribe of Judah. So Judah would be the ones to, to have the, the primary or the, the first place as they march forward. And here's the offering that we're going to see each one of them give. His offering was one silver platter, the weight of which was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, a gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, a young bull, one ram, one male lamb in its first year as a burnt offering, one kid of the goats as a sin offering, and for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs in their first year. This was the offering of Nashon, the son of Amminadab. Then we come on to the second day, on day two. Nathaniel, the son of Zuar, was the leader of Issachar. He presented an offering, the exact same offering. In verse 24, on the third day, Eliab, the son of Halon, leader of the children of Zebulun, presented an offering. Again, the exact same offering is given. On the fourth day, Elizer, the son of Shadur, leader of the children of Reuben, presented an offering. The exact same offering is given. On the fifth day, Shalumiel, the son of Jerashadai, leader of the children of Simeon, presented an offering. And the same offering again is offered. On the sixth day, Eliasaph, the son of Duel, leader of the children of Gad, presented an offering. And again, the same offering was given. In verse 48, on the seventh day, Elishama, the son of Aminichud, leader of the children of Ephraim, presented an offering. Then in verse 54, on the eighth day, Gamaliel, the son of Pedasur, leader of the children of Manasseh, presented an offering. And on the ninth day, Abidan, the son of Gideoni, leader of the children of Benjamin, presented an offering. And on the tenth day, Ahizer, the son of Aminashadai, leader of the children of Dan, presented an offering. Verse 72, on the eleventh day, Pagiel, the son of Akron, leader of the children of Asher, presented an offering and, and gave exactly, again, the same thing. And on the twelfth day, Ahira, the son of Enan, leader of the children of Naphtali, presented an offering. And they bring these offerings before the Lord. They bring these offerings. And it's a, a costly, extravagant gift. Probably what would occur is all the, all the 12 tribes got together and discussed what they were going to be given. They all gave the same thing. Here is the remarkable thing that we want to hold on to when we look at this. The Lord recorded every single one, even though they were the same. He named them by name, who gave it, and he kept track. Because what we give to the Lord matters to him. Every single one was recorded. When we look at the book of Malachi, the book of Malachi says that the Lord writes down in his book of remembrance those things that we do in his name. Every opportunity. I don't know that it's any different today. When you and I arrive in heaven, the Bible talks about a period when the books will be open. It doesn't say the book. It says the books will be open and the book of life. The Lamb's book of life, which is vitally important that your name is written in there. Because that means that you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. What it tells us is God cares about everything that we do for him you remember when jesus was at the temple he was watching what what people gave the scriptures tells us he was watching how people gave and there came in that place a widow who offered up her two mites that widow probably never knew that the lord made an example of her for how many thousands of years has people been Sharing the story of the widow's might? How far forward has, has those two mites carried? How many people's lives have been affected by those two mites? 
The fellow who brought the big bag of change and dumped it in the horn, nobody's talking about him. But the widow and her two mites. And it was all about what? How she gave. Her heart. She gave because she loved the Lord. Why did these people give? They gave because they loved the Lord. Remember what I shared with you before. God had already said, hey, you can have the land and I won't go with you. And they said, no. We don't want to go if you're not going to be there. And now as they're coming to dedicate the tabernacle, they bring this offering. And even though everyone brings the exact same thing, and you and I probably would have wrote this chapter a little bit shorter, the Lord listed out every single one by name and what they gave. Because he cares. He cares. He cared about the widow's mites. He cares about your mites and mine. And anything we've done... In his name. He has written them in his book of remembrance. To the Lord God, they matter, and they matter very much. One of the things we discover as we take a look, take a step back and, and we look at the church and we consider the things that are going on here in chapter seven, the world is full of two kinds of people. It was then it is now. Givers and takers. Givers and takers. Takers will come to church or would show up at Moses' meeting wanting to know what they're going to get. Givers would show up at the meeting looking for an opportunity to see how they could give. I'm not talking about money. I'm just talking about coming with an attitude to give. We gather together so that we can come alongside and we can share someone's, someone's hard time. As they're mourning, we put an arm around them and pray for them and say we're there for them. You know, try to offer whatever we can. The Bible says we mourn with those who mourn. We rejoice with those who rejoice. And it's having that attitude that says, I've come to give. I've gathered together so that I can be a part of what God is doing within this body to these people whom God calls us to love. So we want to have that attitude. Not an attitude of what do I get out of all this, but an attitude that says, how can I be part? What can I do to be part? And to realize to the Lord God, every little thing, even though you and I might say, well, that's insignificant. There's no such thing to him. No such thing. Every piece is vital and important. You're that vital and important to the Lord, even as I'm that vital and important to the Lord. Has nothing to do with what we do. It's just about who we are and the nature of God and his love for us, his desire to know us. Well, the scripture goes on and gives us a total. In verse 84, it says, now, this was the dedication, off, uh, the dedication offering for the altar from the leaders of Israel when it was appointed. Or I'm sorry, <laughs> my glasses are gone. When it was anointed, 12 silver platters, 12 silver bowls, 12 gold pans. Each silver platter weighed 130 shekels, and each bowl, 70 shekels. All of the silver of the vessels weighed 2,400 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The 12 gold pans full of incense weighed 10 shekels apiece, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. And all the gold of the pans weighed 120 shekels. All the oxen for the burnt offering were twelve young bulls, the rams twelve, male lambs in their first year twelve, and their grain offerings and the kids of the goats as a sin offering twelve. And all the oxen for the sacrifice of peace offering were twenty-four bulls, the rams sixty, male goats sixty, the lambs in their first year sixty. And this was the dedication offering for the altar after it was anointed. I love the fact that God gives us a precise reckoning of all that was given. Of all that will you ever feel like nobody notices what you do? When I when I was a part of, of JS on Yucca Valley, it's a big ministry. It's real easy to get lost in it. There were 120 different people uh, that worked for the church, something like nine or ten associate pastors. It's real easy 
to, to just kind of get lost in the shuffle of it all and wonder if anybody knows what you're doing. But you realize the person who matters most, you're never lost on him. He knows exactly what you're doing. He knows exactly why you've done it, who you've done it for, and he cares. It matters to him. And it allows us to do a gut check on self. Am I willing to serve? Am I still willing to come and and mop and and vacuum and and do all the things it takes to to clean or whatever part of of, of, uh, service at church I may be a part of, even though Jackie never seen me one time or said thanks. Because if we're doing it for me, I'm going to let you down. I'm a knucklehead that way. Kathy, she would just rant and rave up one side down the other, but God didn't make me that way. But if we're doing it for the Lord, it doesn't make any difference. If we're doing it for Him, it's all good. Because that's the one that we want seeing us. And then look at what takes place. The offerings given, all those things are, are passed over. And then now, when Moses went into the tabernacle of meeting to speak with him, he heard the voice of one speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was on the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubim. Thus he spoke to him. In the Hebrew, the word for speak means a two-way conversation. Not Moses speaking to the Lord only, but the Lord speaking back. Remember the scripture said that Moses was a friend of God. He spoke to him face to face. We talked about that a little bit on, on Sunday. Open veil. Who he really was standing before Almighty God. You can't hide nothing there, right? Before Almighty God with open face, sharing and speaking with him. What's the point? This offering came, all these things were done. Now the people's hearts are right, but what do they need? They need a leader who is seeking the voice of God to guide, lead, and direct. We got to have his voice. We got to have his direction. We got to be moving and doing the things that God is calling us to. And here we see leadership that is communicating with God, leadership that is seeking the Lord. Leadership that is looking for God's guidance and direction. For us today, it's why we, we have a, a pastor and a board of elders that gather together and seek the voice of God as he directs. Now, while that vision that we see throughout the Old Testament came to Moses, Moses had people around him that would then take that vision. The Lord would guide them, call them, place them, and they would accomplish the work. And the same thing goes on today. The same thing goes on in our world now. As God directs his body. If God's not directing us, we're all wasting our time. We want to have that attitude that says, Lord, where are you calling? God, how are you moving? Lord, where are you directing us? And in chapter 8, the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Now speak to Aaron... And say to him, when you arrange the lamps, the seven lamps shall give light in front of the lampstand. You remember, tabernacle, picture in your mind, here's tabernacle, a rectangle. In the front, as we're walking in the rectangle, to the left we have the lampstand, to the right the table of showbread, directly in front of us the golden altar, the altar of incense, where prayer was offered. What did he say? Make sure the light... From the lampstand is shining out on the table of showbread and the golden altar. That it is shining forth so that they can see what they're doing to do the work. There is no other light in the tabernacle. There's no light bulbs. No windows. Five different coverings over it, remember? So there's no light in there apart from the lampstand. But what do we say? The tabernacle is a picture of Christ and every furnishing within is a picture of him the lampstand what did jesus say i am the light of the world any service that we do that is not enlightened by him we're working in the dark 
We want to be in His light, in His direction. We want to see that lighting that He gives us. And you'll notice, as we talk about the menorah here, where is it? It's placed between the giving, the offering that was given, it's placed between that and the cleansing of the Levites. Reminding us that everything we do, whether we're giving or serving, has to be done centered around the light of the world. Jesus Christ. For Him, to Him, through Him, about Him. It means that our gifts to Him and our service has to be done in His light, the light of His presence. It also means that it must be done according to His word. Because Jesus in John 1, 1 said in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. God the Word. Jesus Christ the Son. That's where we're supposed to get our instructions. Our instructions are going to come from the Word of God. Not some other place. So that lampstand is our light. Jesus Christ calls himself the light of the world. And he is revealed in the Word of God. So in our functioning, whatever we do, if it's not founded on the Word of God in His presence, with His light, His calling, His guiding, what was it for? And that's what He's talking about. That's the whole point. Between all of a sudden we're talking about offerings, then we're going to talk about the cleansing of the, the priests, and in the middle of that is the talk about the menorah. The Lord leads us to look at the light, consider the light, and where the light shown verse 3 Aaron did so he arranged the lamps to face toward the front of the lampstand as the Lord commanded Moses now this workmanship of the lampstand was hammered gold from its shaft to its flowers it was a hammered work according to the pattern which the Lord had shown Moses so he made the lampstand then the Lord spoke to Moses and said take the Levites from among the children of Israel and cleanse them ceremonially now as we're considering this cleansing hold your finger here and go to genesis chapter 49 and maybe we'll remember what it was that jacob had to say about his son levi in genesis chapter 49 verse 5 says simeon and levi are brothers instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place let not my soul enter their council. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man. In their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Well, in reality, that's what's taking place right now with Levi. Because Levi is going to become the priesthood. And where is the priesthood? Are they going to have an inheritance? Will they have any land of their own? Not really, although there's some that they're given, but they're spread among all 12 tribes, scattered within Israel. But we see here with their anger, their hatred, the things that was really who they were and what they were about, and God back in Numbers says, now, <clears throat> excuse me, we're going to use these guys, but first, let's cleanse them. Are we really any different? I mean, we don't really expect Jackie to believe that none of us struggle with anger. <laughs> or that we have some other issue in our life that stains us with sin, even as the 12 sons of Jacob were stained. But we see here in the scriptures that they were to be cleansed. In verse 7, thus you will do to them to cleanse them. First, sprinkle the water of purification on them. Mechatat. Literally, it means the sin water, the water to cleanse them, that the water touching them would purge them of their sin. Not that the water did the work, but it was what? An outward sign of a change that God was working in their lives. And for them, unlike the priesthood, Moses or Aaron and his sons, these guys are, are just sprinkled. They're just sprinkled with the water. They're not scrubbed down and washed. But it's still the mechatat, the sin water that they're given. Then the second thing, let them shave all of their body. 
Now, if you remember the book of Leviticus, you should remember that that occurred in a unique ritual when a certain person was cleansed of their disease. It would be the leper. The leper, which throughout Scripture is a picture of sin, leprosy, and sin, when he was cleansed, he was to shave his entire body. What did it speak of? A new beginning. New beginning. Washing off the old. I'm stepping into a new beginning, a fresh start. And then ultimately let them wash their clothes and so make themselves clean. They wash their clothes and put on the, the, the priestly not the high priestly robes, but the, the white linen robes that were to be worn by the tribe of Levi. So they were clothed. How are you and I clothed? We're clothed what? In the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It wasn't anything they did. It had nothing to do with the... It wasn't some magic water that they squirted on them or something uh, exceptional in the shears that they were shorn with. But it was all about a work that God was doing inside and he gave them a symbol so they could see on the outside something taking place. Look at what's happening. I'm setting these people apart to me, to serve me. And they are being cleansed. Then it says in verse 8, Let them take a young bull with its grain offering of fine flour, mixed with oil, and you shall take another young bull as a sin offering, And you shall bring the Levites before the tabernacle of meeting, and you will gather together the whole congregation of the children of Israel. So he's bringing all the tribe of Levi. They're preparing to offer the the sin offering and the burnt offering. The sin offering speaking of their sin being cleansed. The burnt offering speaking of their consecration. Holy, totally, completely committed to the Lord. These offerings being given, the whole nation gathered around them. And in verse 10 it says, So you will bring the Levites before the Lord, and the children of Israel will lay their hands on them. We have stuff like that that takes place here all the time, don't we? When people are sick, the Bible says, have them come forward and let the elders lay on hands and anoint them with oil. Here we see in the Old Testament the laying on of hands. The laying on of hands symbolize, hey guys, you're fulfilling a role for us. We're sending you out, in essence. Go with our blessing, a part of us, a part of the nation of Israel, consecrated unto God to do a work for Him. And this is what we see them doing. They're laying on their hands that they would be Servants of the nation before the Lord. And Aaron shall offer the Levites before the Lord like a wave offering. Now you understand what just happened? The whole nation gathered. They're all around them. Laying on hands on the, on the whole uh, group of the Levites. And then they offer an entire tribe as a wave offering. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you would present your bodies a living sacrifice that's what they just did they became the wave offering what was the wave offering the wave offering was to symbolize this that i'm waving the barley harvest the wheat harvest belongs to god it's his and so here they are being consecrated to the lord a living sacrifice holy and acceptable which is our Reasonable service, what God is calling and directing us to. So they are offered in this as a wave offering that they may perform the work of the Lord. Verse 12, then the Levites will lay their hands on the heads of the young bulls and you shall offer one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering to the Lord to make atonement for them, covering their sins and consecrating them for service. Covering their sins. And then consecrating them for service. And how they do it? They laid their hands on the bull. A symbol of imputing their sin upon another being that would die for their sin and make them righteous. Doesn't that sound like somebody else we know? Wasn't it Jesus Christ on whom the Father 
imputed our sin that he bore on the cross for us so that you and I, in a relationship with him, by putting our faith and trust in him, would experience the forgiveness of sins and a relationship with Almighty God. Impossible any other way. And so here, our sins forgiven, and then the call is, be consecrated unto me. Well, the Levites were given to to serve as or a part of the priesthood. Aren't we called the royal priesthood? A peculiar people? Isn't that, wasn't that at one time the call of the entire nation of Israel and for the church? A royal priesthood, a peculiar people to serve who? The Lord. Serve the Lord. Why do we do what we do? To serve the Lord. And as we serve the Lord, we serve one another. He goes on and says, Now, you will stand uh, the Levites before Aaron and his sons, and then offer them like a wave offering to the Lord. Thus you will separate the Levites from among the children of Israel, and the Levites shall be mine. Levites shall be mine. Holy and completely given to the Lord. After that, the Levites shall go into the service of the tabernacle of meeting, and you will cleanse them and offer them as a wave offering. For they are wholly given to me. If there's anything that I want to ever strive for in my life, it is that in some small way I might reach a place where I am wholly given to the Lord. I'm not there now. I am just as selfish as anybody else. But boy, do I want to be wholly given to Him. Wholly given, trusting Him, trusting Him for everything. Doesn't God say that He's our provision, that He'll meet our needs? Cast your cares on me, for I care for you. Hasn't He already, according to the book of Ephesians, poured out upon you and I every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies? It's already ours. We live our lives like he hasn't given us anything sometimes. And we get focused by those giants that stand in front of us and say, oh, you can't do it. You remember on on Sunday night we talked about Shennacherib and how Shennacherib sent Rabshakeh and he stood before Hezekiah and told him, oh, your God can't save you. Your God can't help you. You're never going to make it. We're going to tear you apart. Isn't that what all the problems that we ever face in our life say to us? You can't make it. You're going to crumble. There's no way for you to succeed in this. But God whispers in that still, small voice, Trust me. I'm with you. And I will be with you even until the end of the age. For I will never leave you or forsake you. Every step of the way, there he is. To carry, to guide, to lead, to direct, to do his work. So we want to place our hope, faith, trust to be wholly His. To be wholly His. And so here they are, wholly given, completely given from among the children of Israel. I have taken them for myself instead of all who opened the womb, the firstborn of the children of Israel. Now remember, originally God said, hey, the firstborn are all mine. The firstborn are all mine. He passed over them, right? He passed over them in the celebration of the Passover by the anointing of the blood. The firstborn was passed over. And the Lord said, from that point forward, the firstborn, they're mine. But now the Levites become his firstborn. His firstborn. For all the firstborn among the children of Israel are mine, both man and beast. On the day that I struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified them to myself. I have taken the Levites instead of the firstborn of the children of Israel. And I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and his sons from among the children of Israel to do the work for the children of Israel in the tabernacle of meeting and to make atonement for the children of Israel that there be no plague among the children of Israel when the children of Israel come near the sanctuary. So what is it that God was doing with the Levites? Well, first off, he shows us that it's God that chooses our place. And sometimes that's a difficult thing to grasp it is god that chooses 
where we fit within the body, not me. I don't decide, I think I'll be an ear, I think I'll be an eye, I think I'll be a nose. God chooses. God chooses our place, where we fit in the scheme of things. And then he says, now first realize you serve God first. We serve God first before anything else. God is first and then the people. First God, then the people. And then finally their job was to protect the sanctuary. They're to watch dogs. Remember when we talked about the encampment? Who was encamped all around the tabernacle? The families of the Levites. Why were they encamped around? So if anybody was trying to get where they weren't supposed to be, they were there to make sure that it would be right so that no plague would come upon the children of Israel. They were there to protect, to protect. Remember what Paul said in the book of uh, Acts chapter 20 when he was talking to the Ephesian elders? He said, when I leave, what will happen? Savage wolves will come, not sparing the flock. They will rise up from outside. They will rise up from inside. Not they might come, they will come. And what was he charging the elders with? Protect the flock. The same thing that we see being worked within the lives of the Levites who were first forgiven, had a right relationship with God, and consecrated unto him. And God placed them in a place where they would provide that protection uh, through the tabernacle and for his people. And then he goes on and says in verse uh, 20, Then Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel did to the Levites according to all that the Lord commanded Moses concerning the Levites, so the children of Israel did to them. So they were purified. And the Levites purified themselves, washed their clothes, Aaron presented them like a wave offering before the Lord, and Aaron made atonement for them to cleanse them. And after that, the Levites went in to do the work in the tabernacle of meeting before Aaron and his sons. And the Lord commanded Moses concerning the Levites, so they did to them. And the Lord said to Moses, This is what pertains to the Levites. From 25 years old and above, one may enter to perform service in the work of the tabernacle of meeting. You remember earlier they were called from 30 and above. This is where we see them spend their first five years in training. From 25 to 30 they were trained. From 30 to 50 they served within the tabernacle. And in verse 25 at the age of 50 years they must cease performing this work and shall work no more. Well, what's up with that? Well, it's a lesson we miss. The lesson is, thou shalt raise up the next generation. You will not serve me forever. And in order for this to keep moving forward, it's got to be passed on from generation to generation to generation to generation. The first lessons ever I was taught in ministry was to find someone to pour your life into to replace you. Find someone to raise up. Find someone that that you can encourage. Someone that can take your place. Because though the scriptures here put a number of 50 on it, the bottom line is, folks, there are churches across the nation that are going to close their door when the next generation passes away because there's no one left to take their place. And it should not be that way. We've got to raise up the next generation. We've got to pour our lives out. It's not always comfortable. It's not always easy. But it is always God's way. Raise them up. Raise up that next generation. What's it say in verse 26? Now this is what they would do. That they may minister with their brethren in the tabernacle of meeting to attend to needs, but they themselves shall do no work. Thus you shall do to the Levites regarding their duties. What was the point? Most commentators agree that those above the age of 50 became the trainers 
for the 25-year-olds that were coming up. So at 50, they would go to pour themselves into the life of a young person so that that person would be trained up in five years to move forward. They were no longer doing the work, carrying the lumber, piling the rocks, pulling the weeds, but they were training up the younger generation that they might move forward and do it. That's the way God wants us to move. That's the way God wants us to work. The lifeblood of any church is their children's ministry, the most important ministry in church. Are you raising up the next generation? Are we pouring enough of ourselves into our kids so that we don't lose a whole generation that doesn't want to have anything to do with following the Lord? This was the call given to the Levites, and it was fulfilled by the priests as they would reach that age of retirement. Now, notice also, from 50 on, there was no time when they had to stop. They pulled themselves out of service at 50 and went to training the next generation. But as they trained that next generation, they trained that next generation until the day the Lord called them home. Pouring their lives into them and becoming a part of the 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 body growing and moving forward growing and moving forward what's the sad thing the sad thing is we know at some point they stopped spreading the truth and the whole thing got all haywire and you end up with priests who who didn't really believe and levites who were after their own and and it just got all corrupted it got all corrupted so what do we do how do we maintain for ourselves how do we keep ourselves in a place where where we're not allowing that corruption to come in we got to be holy his all it takes is one instructor in seminary right one instructor in seminary teaching the young coming through studying to be pastors who doesn't believe that uh, the bible is the word of god how many people's lives does he affect And then that just carries on. Well, we don't have a Bible college, but we got young people every Sunday, every Wednesday that we can love on, pour ourselves out to. Are they going to do stuff that bug us? Sure. They're going to break things? Absolutely. Oh, well, just stuff. We'll get more. We might not get more kids, but we'll get more stuff. We want to pour ourselves into them that they would move forward and become all that God wants them to be. Now, while I'd really like to finish chapter 9, hey, I know, I don't want to torture you guys too much further. But as we look at this, one of the things I think we want to pull away from tonight, and and one of the things that that as I study it that, that really grabs a hold of me is that concept of you know, the Lord's been speaking to my heart about revival. When I went to the pastor's conference, that he was speaking to the pastors there. 900 pastors. What was on their heart? Revival. But not, just like we've been talking about, not revival out there, revival in here. Revival in me. Am I wholly his? Revival in me. Am I, am I wearing a mask? Am I playing games with the Lord? Am I really consecrated? Have I been cleansed? Am I filled and anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit to do the work that God's calling me to do. And as we look tonight in the book of Numbers, what do we see? We see consecration. We see cleansing. We see the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We see people making the decision to be consecrated and wholly devoted unto the Lord. A, a, a revival of sorts moving within the Levites. Sunday night, what do we see in the book of Isaiah? The exact same thing. Sunday morning, what do we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 3? God's doing the same thing. There's a work that God wants to accomplish. And he's going to, he's so patient, (laughs) he'll wait way longer than you and I will. But he wants to do that. And all it takes is just a handful. Just a handful. I'm reminded of Philip. He just went by himself down to Samaria, and what happened? Most of Samaria got saved. 
So many people got saved, Peter had to go up there and straighten them all out on the, on the anointing of the Holy Spirit, or vice versa, depending on how you look at it. Peter went up there, and, and, and then Philip's all excited about what the Lord's doing, and all of a sudden what happened? Poof, he's gone. Where was he next? Chasing a, a cart of an Ethiopian eunuch. Hearing a guy talk about the scriptures and wondering what he's talking about. And he goes up and shares with him. And the Ethiopian eunuch goes back to Ethiopia. And who knows how many people are, are, are saved as a result. That's one person. That's one guy. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Anointed, consecrated, wholly devoted to the Lord. And he's changing everybody's life around him. That's all it takes. And there's more than one of us here. God wants to do a great thing. We just need to consecrate ourselves to him. Amen? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray this evening. Heavenly Father, Lord God, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is light, that your word is life, that everything we do, when we give, when we serve, how we give, how we serve, what we do, it's all built around your centrality, the centrality of our relationship with you, Lord. Father, we want to be holy yours. Utterly, completely, totally devoted unto you. That you would do such a work in us and among us. Father, that we would lay aside all those things that, that ensnare us and, and trip us up and, and keep us from experiencing uh, our relationship with you, Father, the, the way you intended to be. And that we would have a heart that was willing to reach out to others. That was willing to, to pour ourselves out to other people. And, and to reach out and, and try to affect others' lives. Not based on a concept of, of rules and do's and don'ts. But simply with the love of Christ. That the love of Christ would, would compel us to share what you've done for us with others. Father, we see it all the way back in the book of Numbers. We see you preparing your own special people that were wholly yours, devoted to your service. And with them, you were to change the hearts of all the people around them. But God, we know, we, we, we study the book. They failed. But we have something that they didn't. We have the Holy Spirit poured out upon the entire body of Christ. And if we will humble ourselves, even as you did, and allow your Spirit to equip us, to energize us, and to flow through us, was Jesus said, these works that you've seen me doing greater, you shall do as you turn your world upside right. So, Father, move in us. So, Father, may we who are called by your name rightly reflect who you are. That we wouldn't be that we wouldn't be held back by selfishness or we wouldn't be held back by by self-sufficiency. But Lord, it would be about you. It's all about you. As we present ourselves as a wave offering to you, we present ourselves to you as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, which is our reasonable service. Oh Lord God, do a mighty work in and among your people. As we give you all the praise and all the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close in worship. And as, as uh, Fritz and the team come on up to lead us in that, I encourage you guys, we're going to have some uh, uh, root beer floats outside. But before that, you know, if there's anything that the Lord's spoken to you or anything going on in your life that you'd like to pray about, I'm going to be up front. I'd be happy to pray with you guys as we worship. God bless you and go in peace.
thank you for your Holy Spirit, Lord. We thank you for your word. Your word is a lamp unto our feet, Lord, a light unto our path. Lord, uh, your word is life. Lord, uh, is that living source, Lord, that we come and we get more of you, Lord God. Go with us as we fellowship, Lord, uh, Light a fire in our hearts, Lord. Light a fire in each and every one of us, Lord, that we would just 
hunger for more of you, that we would hunger for your word. Lord, uh, may we be a light to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.